Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Hey everyone, this is the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling. Thanks so much for joining me. This is the show I've produced in Sydney, Australia since 2016. Uh, I can speak to lots of leading guitar players and guitar figures. And for the last oh, eight, ten months or so, I've been joined by my friends Rob Rhodes. Hey Matt. And Gabor Jessica. Hey guys, how are you? For our iconic album series, and we've we've verge in some other iconic areas, some other themed episodes like our favourite Beatles moments, um, cool guitar moments in films, all kinds of stuff like that. So we're continuing on with this theme in uh, today's episode, we're talking about oddball Gibson guitars. Now, when we talk about Gibson, just just to back up a little, Orville Gibson, the original Gibson, started building instruments in 1894, by 1902... The check this out for a name. The Gibson Mandolin Guitar Manufacturing Company Limited uh, was launched. (laughs) Great name. (laughs) Imagine fitting that on a headstock. So uh, they launched. So we're talking about 120 years of history, and I know, like you guys, um, you know, we love the history of some of these companies. And over 120 years, you're going to have some high points, some low points, some weird stuff, some super cool (laughs) stuff. You know that's a lot of time. So um, th- this is this is what I love. So often, not just musical instrument companies, but plenty of companies will follow the fashions of the day, or they'll try and exploit um, the cutting ed- edge technology of the day, um, and and how that stuff ages. Sometimes it ages really well. Sometimes it doesn't. And um, yeah, I just find it fascinating. So. That's what we're going to have a, a dive into. You know, some people like to hate on Gibson guitars for various reasons, but that's not what this episode is about. This is very much a, an affectionate look at some of the quirky guitars. There will be some head scratching, trying to work <laughs> out <laughs> what the heck oh, yeah. is going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but we're going to jump in. So this is our top seven quirky guitar oddballs. Gabor, do you want to kick us off? Okay, so I'm going to start us off with a bit of a head scratcher, um, and uh, it's it's one of three guitars, two of which aged very well. This one, yeah. So the Gibson Modern uh, is the one I would like to talk about. So nice. uh, it was so in in on actually I've got it on June 27, 1957, right. Ted McCarty was the president of Gibson at the time, filed three patent designs. Uh, now, two of those uh, 
seem to have aged quite nicely and are quite like guitars. One of one of them is the Flying V, the other one is the Explorer. Now, the third one was the Modern, um, which, yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't know what they were thinking with the, <laughs> when they were designing that guitar, especially the headstock. It's just the weirdest, that weird, weird, anyway. Um, so it was <laughs> hey, can there, I... Uh, can Sorry? I jump in, Gabor? Here's a rule too. Because we're an audio podcast, oh, yeah. I mean, anyone, everyone can look up these guitars, yeah. but I reckon everyone has to try and visually describe the oddball Gibson they're talking about. So, Okay. Uh, <laughs> imagine putting, like a, charades, imagine really. putting a, like in a very cartoony way, a sock over your head with one <laughs> point of the sock sort of sticking out and the, the heel bit of the sock sticking out the other side. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that Gumby's head? Gumby's Gumby head, yeah. Well, yeah, Gumby's yeah, head. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> With those weird – so, and if you look – the weirdest thing about it is if you look at the strings, they come straight – they go straight up where the nut is and then there's this little post and then they kind of veer off to where yeah. the machine heads are. It's weird. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Um, anyway, so those three designs were made because Gibson was kind of losing um, – market share to Fender because Fender had the Stratocaster, the Telecaster, which are quite sort of well-received guitars. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to do more forward-looking designs, which Flying V Explorer, I can totally see it. Um, But, yeah, with that, yeah. And so, anyway, all three of those guitars um, were shown um, at NAMM 1957 or prototypes were shown. Um, And... After that, because of the very poor reception of the Modern, the Gibson decided to not go ahead with making a Modern. Now, some Gibson employees say there were never any prototypes made. It was just drawings that were shown. Okay. Others say there were some prototypes made. Others say um, some of the workers actually took the parts home and made the prototypes at home because Gibson didn't want it done in their factory. So it's sort of one of those, not quite sure if there were ever actually any Moderns in those days. But in 1980 at the NAMM show in Atlanta in those days, uh, Gibson reissued the never really issued to begin with modern as <laughs> part of the cool. heritage series. Um, and it also <laughs> made, it. Uh, made an Epiphone version of it in Korea. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and, oh, and in 2013, there was a Zach Wilde modern of doom. Um, which uh, it, so okay so the reissues that they made in 1980 didn't have or some of them had the wonky headstock some of them had the weird wonky V headstock it's sort yeah. of like a if you imagine imagine Spock doing his Vulcan greeting uh, it's a bit like that just he maybe has three fingers on one side one finger on the other side it's sort of like an weird offset V look yeah yeah um, so some had the the weird Gumby headstock one had some had the the kind of offset V headstock. Um, the Zach Wild Modern of Doom had that weird V offset V headstock, um, and of course Floyd Rose and EMG pickups, and it had pinstriping on it. It didn't have the bullseye thing that he usually does. It had pinstriping uh-huh. on. Rocking. So, what, what what do you guys guys think of the Modern? Well, didn't they also do one with the with the traditional flying V headstock too? Because when I was looking at photos, there was like the three There's different three, yeah. moderns, and it had the flying V headstock. Possibly the the um, Epiphone ones, I think. Oh, okay. Possibly they were the ones that had the flying V headstocks. Okay. 
to me, it looks like they got an old Chevy, um, you know, that used to have the big fins in yeah, the fifties, yeah. and they yeah. just got a chainsaw and cut through <laughs> like the rear panel with the sort fin and went. Well, this and is the a wheel good shape. Arch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like you know, Ted McCarty just went. Well, let's trace that. But then when he came, he didn't know what to do at the quarter panel, the bottom quarter panel. So he tried to draw a straight line, but it didn't quite work. <laughs> but, yeah, it totally looks like the fin off one of those, you know, Chevy, old Chevys or Dodges or Fords, you know. Um, it's just odd. Totally, um, yeah. And, he- and just the headstock. The headstock is bizarre. It's just one of those ones where you just really wonder <laughs> why. Why? 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 <laughs> just why? I kind of dig them. I, the first time I read about one, I think it was in a guitar player magazine, and there was a uh, there was an eighties guitarist, David Tinsley, I think, a blues player, who, okay. who played one of the reissues. I thought, man, that looks pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the headstock is is bizarro land. Yeah. Um, it's not as if you're not having trouble tuning. You know, a bunch of Gibson guitars already keeping in tune. Let's just let's just divert the strings at another you know, thirty-five to forty degrees. And it's, around it's this the weirdest angles too. It's not yeah. like normal-looking angles. It's really weird. And if you look at the machine heads too, because of the weird, it's not a straight yeah. kind yeah. of V shape on the outside. It's sort of curved. Yeah. So the the what would be the the D, I guess. Um, yeah. If you, the machine head of the D is sort of pointing almost. D, Towards you, almost. Yeah. You know, like back. Anyway, it's, yeah. Can you also see that, like, when you look at it next to the V, we'll get to the V soon, but it yeah. was like someone went, how are you supposed to play this on your knee? And someone just went, <laughs> burr, with a saw. <laughs> there you go. You can sit on your knee now. And that's yeah, how it goes. Flying V for weddings. That's perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's well, a jazz sit down V. Players. It's a jazz V for when you sit <laughs> down. jazz V. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. All right. Thanks, Gabor. Modern, that's, that's, that's on the list for sure. Rob, what have you got? So I've gone the traditional. I'm, I've My one's from the same era, the 57 design released in 58. So I'm going to kick off with the Flying V, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, Gabor's covered the history of when these three models yep. were released. Um, 81 Flying Vs were shipped in um, between 58 and 59. Um, and the guitar's listed for two hundred and forty-seven fifty US. Wow. So to give you some idea, the Carina, they were made of Carina, and um, the reissues retailed for ten k US recently, and wow. they made the same amount of them. Um, and so they were sixteen k here. I think There's some on yeah. Reverb, you can get one. But um, yeah, the Flying V was just a radical design. And for anyone that's owned them, uh, I've owned a couple. I've got one at the moment. I've got a Karina Flying V now, but a a Bacchus Japan one. And by the way, there aren't many people I think that can pull off Flying Vs. But all the photos I see of you playing it, you can really you're pulling it off, man. You really are. You're making Uh, it work, Rob. Hundred (laughs) percent. Thanks. Must be those crazy striped pants. You know, it just sets it off perfectly. Yeah, must be. be, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like it started with Lonnie Mack and um, and the players over the years that got me into Flying Vs were obviously Hendrix and Albert King. And then through the 90s, you got Lenny Kravitz, Tom Jamont, yeah, um, yeah. who was more the Hamer, 
but mm. you know it's brought attention to that body shape. Same with Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, mm. and um, so they were sort of everywhere. And now the latest crop is you know Joe Bonamassa's flying the flag high for the flying V. But they're really interesting guitars for someone who's like I'm a predominantly Gibson player now that when you have Les Pauls and stuff for a lot of years, you get used to that tone and you think, hey, this is same pickups, almost the same electronics, same company, but how different a V sounds to all those other guitars and how light. The other thing I didn't realise is how light Karina is, like super light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you just throw that guitar around. Um, But, yeah, the... They all came with PAF pickups, but there's this kind of mid-honk to them that get them to cut through. Like you can hear that in Lonnie Mac and you can hear that in Albert um, King's playing. Um, it's right there. Not so much with Bonamassa because he's, you know, quite saturated sound. But, um, yeah, they definitely have a look. They in, the, the original ones had a little, for anybody who's looking up what they looked like, um, they had this little rubber slip on the side so it didn't slide off your leg so and it was recessed too so they cut a recess in it It wasn't just glued onto the body Mm, but they recessed it out and inset it so it's quite interesting that you know they um they thought about that and put those in there and um yeah it's just a it's a for anyone with OCD, it's a beautiful guitar for that. It's perfectly <laughs> symmetrical, yes. you know, straight down yes. the middle, the headstock. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a lover of the Flying V. And, yeah, as I said, they were radical in space age and somehow after all these years, like 60 years, they still look radical and, yeah. you know, they don't look normal. And no. um, thankfully it's... it's time, timeless, definitely timeless design. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. um yeah, so what what are your thoughts on the V, Matt? Oh, I dig the V. I dig all these shapes, man. The V the V rocks. It it, it does take me back to um as a kid looking at electric guitars and realizing they didn't have to shape didn't have that hourglass shape like an acoustic. They didn't have to. Unreal, mm. man. So yeah, seeing V's like blew my mind in the I don't know, the eighties, the, the the players playing them. Um what I think is fascinating with the V2, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it didn't take off in the late 50s. I think Gibson dropped it pretty soon after. Yeah. Mm. But it took 70s metal guys um, yeah. who were buying them secondhand to to uh, to help the resurgence. And then I think it was sev- mid-70s anyway, Gibson reissued them and, and I don't think they've been out of the line since. Yeah, because the 71's got the rounder weirder headstock so there's a few changes and then there's the 80s metal ones um there's the bigger pick guard as well ones and there's a few different ones around some of the most expensive ones are the signature models like the lenny kravitz one absolutely took off they made a certain amount of those and a really strange one which i was researching last night was the grace potter which she has a nocturnal brown colour and it's bound and it's like a beautiful mm-hmm. guitar. And that one has just skyrocketed. They retailed for just over 2K and now it's mm-hmm. really hard to get them for under 10. They're wow. really Jeez. gone through the roof. Crazy. But, um, yeah, Ted McCarty commissioned that particular guitar and um, 
and the other one I'm going to talk about uh, with um, Seth Lover also claims to have had input into the design. Okay. He also came up with the name Flying V because they were just throwing names around. They're like, oh, that looks like a Flying V, and then the name <laughs> stuck. So how about you, Gabor? Nice. Thoughts on the V? The V, uh, probably my 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 earliest memories of Vs would would have been Lenny Kravitz. Mm. I think that sort of that was. I mean, I'm a child of the '90s. I, I was never a big sort of metal guy, and I guess maybe Scorpions. He had the sort of the the oh, black yeah. and yin yeah. and yang kind of one. But it, didn't he? Yeah, he had that sort of black and Michael white. Schenker. Michael, Michael Schenker. Michael Schenker. Yeah, yeah. Keep on rocking. Keep, keep on, on rocking. <laughs> and keep on rocking. Um, so yeah, they were probably my earliest memories. I I I really like them. I always liked them. I always uh, liked the look of them. It's one of those guitars where I always wonder, would I get away with playing one? <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I, you look great with it, Rob. And um, yeah. no, it's it's a cool guitar. The only thing is, like you said, I've, the, when I've tried them in music shops. You got to do the, and it's so douchey. You got to do between the thing where leg. you between the legs, and yeah. it's just nah. Do you know what's <laughs> or funny? you do the thing where you hold it, you hold it, <laughs> yeah. your arm, put your arm. The <laughs> There's um, and that's just not right. That's just not right. It's on great because the, the backus one I've got's two got two strap buttons. So depending on where you are, you can adjust it. And I always like the one on the back of the neck better than the one on the top of the body. Um, mm. But I do a little shtick on stage with it and go, you know, this is this is my bug out guitar because in a flood you can use it as a paddle, in a, <laughs> in a fire you can use it to clear brush and scrub to get through. It's a great weapon in the zombie apocalypse. And um, and then on the other night yeah. it was perfect to hit balloons back balloons. at the punters. Yeah, so, I saw that yeah. sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Man, <laughs> love it, love it. So yeah, I mean, it's so ubiquitous. It's it's in some ways it's not an oddball, but you're exactly right, Rob. When it came out, people were like, what the, what is this thing? Yeah, and to only yeah. ship eighty one until they yeah. were reissued. You know, yeah, crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to move forward a um, couple of decades and look at the Gibson Corvus. Oh yeah. It was very short-lived. They were built between 1982 and 1984, which is really the end of the Norlin era of Gibson, which is pretty much widely panned as 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 a low point in Gibson's history. (laughs) Probably matching, you know, um, uh, following CBS over at Fender, the the same similar kind of time frame, little different but similar. And meanwhile, all the Japanese companies were really kicking. The American companies at this at this stage. So the Corvus, I first saw one in a book. My my wife got me a book in the early nineties. It's called The Ultimate Guitar Book by Tony Bacon. Yeah, got turned to the page. There's there's this can opener looking at me with a Gibson <laughs> sticker on it. That's a good description, actually. <laughs> it's yeah. not bad. It's not bad. I di- I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't make that up, but I I will pass that on. Yeah, so it's nicknamed the can opener. What I recently found out, though, Corvus is the Latin word for crow. And apparently a crow in flight. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at a a photo that's overlaying a picture of the crow on it. So, yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, I guess I can sort of see it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. 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 Someone has unkindly said, well, if it looks like a crow... 
it looks like a crow going to the bathroom. So <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you're taking the whole body, it's like, I don't it's- know. But it just looks bonkers. And I guess it's a, as I was saying in the intro, I guess, it's it's maybe a victim or a, a victor of the fashion because we're talking about early 80s. New wave. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of new wave bands like Devo, Devo playing those like cut down guitars. and The log, yeah. <laughs> yeah, essentially the two by four yeah. guitar. Yeah. yeah. Look, it was they, missed an oppor- they missed an opportunity with Flock of Seagulls then, didn't they? Oh, totally. I could have said it looked like a seagull. Yes. <laughs> that would have made sense. Sorry, Will Smith uh, just come in to slap me for that one. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> <Ooh-hoo>. <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> <laughs> How quick were all the memes? Hey, like we're talking oh, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Within minutes. There were three Corvus models. There was the Corvus 1 had one, one humbucker. Corvus 2 had two humbuckers. Corvus 3 had three single coils. There was a deluxe model called the Futura, yeah. uh, which was not to be confused with the Explorer prototype, which we might get to a little bit later on. Fun fact, I didn't know this. The Corvus is featured in Guitar Hero 1, 2, and 3, the video game. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, crazy-looking guitar. Some of the things you see online, people say they actually sound great because they've got a very conventional set of electronics, very simple electronics, unlike some of the other mm. Gibson oddballs that, that turned up with active circuits and all sorts of things around this same kind of era for Gibson anyway. So there's the chorus. Thoughts? Thoughts from the uh, from the table? It, it reminds me of a reverse... Ovation breadwinner, like okay. flipped over, yeah. Yeah. and then like what you were good. saying, what you were saying before um, with the with the modern that someone just went, oh hang on, it's sliding off my leg. <laughs> just cut a, <laughs> cut hang a on, thing out. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll cut a bit out for your leg. So it's like yeah. to me, it looks like you, you take a ovation breadwinner, flip it over, and you cut the bit out for the leg to sit on. Yeah, That's, it it kind of has that sort of look, but it's a weird guitar in it. It's I mean, it's another one of those. Yeah. Was it maybe a bunch of people sitting around a table who are not necessarily musicians <laughs> who go, yeah, let's, let's, uh, what we, this is what we need, guys. Let's, we'll, we'll go and play golf, but one second, this is what we need. <laughs> we need to, we need to make a guitar that is cutting edge. You know, I watched the movie Tron, I know what's going on. Well, this is the head scr- exactly, exactly. This is the head scratcher. It's not just one crazy luthier working out of his basement, no, his no. or her basement. It's a it's a major corporation, yeah. And surely a few people have to say, "Yep, this is awesome. Let's let's make this thing." So I love it. I lo- it's it's crazy. I'm like I've got a I've got a description of it for people that um, we have to maybe can't see it. Um, it was like someone came over from California um, to Michigan and uh, Kalamazoo and they had a shark tooth necklace and they went, that's the headstock, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, And then the other one's kind of like, you know, when you first get into pottery and you're trying to make a perfectly round ashtray, <laughs> it kind of <laughs> comes out weird and in yeah, weird yeah. shape, that's it. Like someone, I don't know. 
Or maybe they saw how Van Halen took to the Ibanez Destroyer with a oh, chainsaw yes. and yeah, they went, little, oh, yeah, let's yeah, yeah. take that and let's take a few extra pieces off until they took too many pieces off and went, mm, maybe, we, maybe we went too far and someone went, nah, no, nah, we didn't. We didn't go too far. Let's throw it but out But it's there. lunchtime. I don't want to start talking <laughs> about this. <city. laughs> but it's interesting. I'm looking at one with a Floyd Rose on it. Like how can, oh, that, wow. go, how wow. can that go wrong? Wow. How can that go wrong? (laughs) It's probably a good chance of staying in tune with a Floyd, let's be honest. That's true. That's true. All right, Gibson Corvus, the can opener, the crow, the shark tooth, whatever you want to call it. That's that's what it is. I reckon we'll do one more before we take a break. Gabor, what do you got next? Me? Okay. So I'm going to take Rob's Flying V. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm oh, gonna turn it over. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. <laughs> and make a reverse flying V, or as I like to call it, the arrow. <laughs> it's such a weird looking guitar. So um, this was a guitar that was uh, conceived uh, as part of the Gibson Guitar of the Week promotion in 2007. So Tell it's us a about relatively that new thing. That's yeah. like uh, cheese of the week. Sorry. It's like cheese of the week or the cheese of the, the week, club. but in guitar form. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, it was released as guitar of the week for week twenty nine that year in two thousand seven, with a limited run of four hundred. Uh, it was made in one color and one color only, and this is actually going back to the Karina thing. So yeah. I believe one of the reasons why they used Karina is because it had similar qualities to mahogany, but it was a much lighter color. So oh, okay. they could much easier they could do translucent light colors much much easier, and so they did this trans amber finish with gold plated hardware and st- a string through tailpiece that was the one color that was available. Um, oh no, hang on, that was later. Sorry, that was later. But uh, th- this was mahogany. Sorry, originally it was mahogany. Then later the reissues they used Karina because of the color. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it had uh, 57 classic pickups, single volume knob, rosewood fretboard, mahogany body and neck. Uh, they took the headstock from the uh, Gibson Futura, Futura Explorer, the one, again, that offset kind of Vulcan greeting mm-hmm. um, headstock, uh, which pa- was patented in 1958. Uh, and because of the uh, extreme um, success, really, of that guitar, which I don't really don't understand why. <laughs> how do you put it on just, a stand to begin with? Oh, how do you do anything with it? It's just, I don't know. They did a, uh, the following year in 2008, they did a, um, another run. This time they did 900 guitars, uh, for, which was also, it, it coincided with the 50th anniversary of the Flying V. And it did a limited run of 900 guitars in three new colors. Uh, in natural, classic white, and ebony black. Uh, and this is where the classic white came in. Uh, they used um, Karina because the Karina is a lighter color and they could do that translucent kind of thing. Yeah, and the natural uh, the natural color being very similar to the trans amber. So they did 300 of each of those colors with a limited run. Uh, the specifications were practically the same. Uh, they changed uh, it to an ebony fretboard for the 2008 reissue. Um, uh, as opposed to the um, rosewood fretboard. I mean, that's really the only thing. And yeah, so what are your thoughts on the arrow guitar, the reverse flying V? Well, there's a few questions. There's um, <laughs> there's many questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Guitar of the Week, there must be people who bought every single one. There must be some collectors with deep pockets who did that, which is yeah, yeah, off topic, but very interesting. Um, uh, Flying V, yes. Reverse V, no. No, 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 no. That's all I can <laughs> say. <laughs> Definitely I mean, no. it's fun. It is fun. No, well. <laughs> it is fun, but do you have to do it? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. It's a fun idea, perhaps. I, well, Rob, now, <laughs> I can see you. Rob could pull it off. <laughs> I can see you pull off a reverse flying V. <laughs> totally. Look, um, as a good friend once told me, he makes his money on the upper frets. And a reverse V, <laughs> if he had it, he would make any money. Shout out to Robbie Fry. Um, yeah, he uh, upper fret access looks like an issue for me. Um, and someone <laughs> who's someone who's just discovering those upper frets, uh, I don't want that that uh, impeding my ability to to make that money. Um, but yeah, it's totally weird. The control there's one I was looking at where the control layout is up on the lower bout. The pickup selector is the furthest thing away, and there's yeah. three knobs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, one even has a, a vibroller on it, a vibroller tailpiece. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But there's some craziness about this guitar. But you know, one thing Gibson's consistent of is making it difficult for guitarists who buy their guitars to put them on stands, okay? <laughs> okay. And this is a whole new level. So from Firebirds to Vs to Explorers to Reverse Vs to whatever <laughs> else, weird and wacky, it's honestly like what? They, don't, they can't be guitar players, right? Honestly. Uh, it's got to be having a laugh. <laughs> But it's you can it's it's genius marketing because it's add-on stuff too. So they you have to buy their cases because no other yeah. guitar case will ever fit in that. Yeah, so it's it's add-on stuff. You've got to buy this the special uh, Gibson Reverse Flying V guitar stand. <laughs> you know it's important. It's, it's add-on stuff. Yeah, I guess. Uh, how do you get a Reverse Flying V Pelican case? It, uh... <laughs> well, you buy the uh, you buy the four thousand nine hundred ninety five dollar Gibson one. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, not a, not. I think for a laugh and a gimmick, it's great. But I, I, nah, I'm, I'm gonna say no to the reverse V. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. There you go. I think that's uh, I think that's a fair call. It's a fair call. But great, a great oddball. Great oddball. Absolutely. All right. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with some more oddballs and our listener question of the week. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, a comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cup. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. Welcome back. We are talking Gibson Oddballs. Now, we've got a question of the week from Chad Wynn. Now, this is super cool. Chad... I'm going to get him on the show soon. Chad actually worked in the Gibson factory. He was in the nine-man team uh, working on the Firebird X. 
which, no surprise, is going to get a mention tonight. <laughs> Coming up soon. <laughs> Don't take it personally, man. <laughs> well, it's funny that I put a I put a vote up on on Instagram, Firebird X, yes or no. Um, all of my guitar people who I knew who played guitar, everyone said no. Um, people who didn't play guitar, uh, a lot of people said yes. So it looked cool. So interesting. Chad said no, even though he was on the team that built it, but he's got heaps of cool stories about it. So, well, that says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> well, we'll have to find out. I can't wait to talk to Chad. This is going to be awesome. But anyway, Chad. Sorry, I can see that Gibson NDA has worked wonders. Mm. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Perhaps enough time has, has, uh, has passed. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Chad, Chad's question was, though, question of the week, what is the best recorded version of the classic PAF or the classic PAF sound? Which is such a good question for us tonight, talking Gibsons. Absolutely. Who wants um, to uh, go? All right, yeah, I'll, I'll kick off. For me, it's Edward Van Halen is the greatest recorded PAF oh. tone in history. I love it. That's, yeah. that's a bit um, controversial, isn't it? <laughs> because not only that, so it's there's a whole story behind it, right? And it's heartbreaking because when there's interviews with him where he said he basically bought classic Gibsons, 335s, Les Pauls, everything to get the PAFs out. And then not only that, he wax potted on himself and destroyed how many will never know? He yep, said, yep, you know, yep. I melted the bobbins. They turned into a big puddle because I had the wax too hot. And he said, trial and error, which we still don't know how many puffs he destroyed. But um, for yeah. him to finally get it right, wax pot them and Van Halen one, Van Halen yeah. two, yeah. women and children first, fair warning, like all of those all those guitar sounds are that homemade Boogie body Charvel Strat with a puff cut horribly out with a chisel and just dropped into the body, um, drilled directly into the body. That I, I think that is that you just took it to the next level. It was a low output humbucker, and um, close second for me is Paul Kossoff from Free. I think, yeah, they're my they're my top two puff recorded sounds. Um, anything he did live or on record, yeah, fantastic. Wow, cool! I love it. I love it. I, you know, I didn't think of Eddie, but of course, of course, he was he was doing crazy stuff with those. Um, Paul Kossoff was one of mine as well. So um, the paths, from what I understand, we're talking fifty-seven to sixty-four. Well, when when they're making the paths, so things changed up a little bit after sixty-four. But yeah, Paul Kossoff had a fifty-nine Les Paul standard, so. Yeah. So I'm I'm with you. The All right now is probably the the, the classic free track, uh, but plenty and plenty of other stuff on on, on that stuff too. Uh, how about you, Gabor? So I'm going to be one of those people who's kind of ignorant towards all this stuff. Um, <laughs> so I picked just because I knew he was he has a guitar that has a path in it. I picked uh, Jimmy Page. And I particularly picked. I always liked the sound of physical gra- graffiti. Um, I, okay. I know he used other guitars in there too, but the path is on there for sure because he used either his number one or number two, depending on on you know on the day, I guess, whatever what the tunings were in and stuff. Uh, and I always liked the guitar sounds on it because all every song it's quite a different sound. Mm. And also, what I find with that album, lots of effects use 
but subtle. Okay. Yeah. Unless yeah. you really know the effects of it, so I always had a thing for physical graffiti. So I picked that, and I mean, you got to you got to Jimmy Page. I mean, you got to throw Jimmy Page in there. Nice. Absolutely. Fun fact about Jimmy Page's number one: mm-hmm. it was a gift from Joe Walsh. Wow. He, nice. He, it was yeah. Actually, I read about that too. Uh, yeah. And the, uh, all that um, Jimmy Page had to pay for 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 um, the guitar was reimburse Joe Walsh uh, Joe Walsh's plane ticket because Joe Walsh didn't want to send it. He yeah. delivered it himself. So he flew to visit Jimmy Page in England and gave it to him. And uh, Jimmy reimbursed him for the for the flight ticket. Nice. There's a little fun fact of the fun fact. Wow. <laughs> we are going like. Um, inception here. There's yeah, facts yeah, inside. Is, facts and facts. Inception. <laughs> this is very heavy, man. This is very heavy. <clears throat> um, so yeah, one I'll, another one I'll add is uh, Clapton on the Beano album, the John Mayer on the Blues Breakers album. Uh, he's playing a 60, 1960s Les Paul. Six, 960 Les Paul, I should say. Um, also cool tones on that record. A lot of people say he's using a tone, a treble booster. A lot of people saying he's He's not. I don't know if he is, but it sounds awesome. It sounds great. So I'll chuck that one in there too. Oh, there's right. so many, you know, like mm. anybody who has a, you know, a 59 burst basically is yeah. there, the paths, you know, from yeah. Lucathar to Joe Perry and yeah. they're all there, man, Bonamassa. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the it's the sound of blues rock, right? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. My Probably my favourite humbucker in, in my gigging guitars is a, a PAF Pro, a, a quite an old one from the 80s. I'm the same, and, uh, man. PAF Pro is, you know, pretty much my favourite all-round pickup in a bridge yeah, position, wow. even in the neck. Yeah. I've got them in my Washburn N4. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah, i got two of them nice. in that. And they coil tap good too. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got yeah. The, the, Fishman, the Fishman classic humbuckers, which are meant to be PAF style, you know, circuit board things. I don't know, they're different, the whole Fishman Fluence thing. But it's a great sounding pickup. I've got it in an old in an old Greco Les Paul, and it's yeah, uh, cool. it's it's much more single coily than a lot of people think. It, it's not like a super fat humbucker. It has a chiminess to it, which is actually really nice. Yeah, yeah. they're they're low to medium output. Like I've in my SG, I've got um, the Damasio fifty nines, and yeah. then in my three three five is the you know the Gibson classics. So yeah. they're you know, their paths as well, based on the path. They're just, yeah, they just seem, especially in the 70s show where you need yeah, to get sure. neck sounds and in-between sounds yeah. and bridge sounds, they really are. They 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 allow the guitar's tone to shine without too much coloration, which, yeah, yeah, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Nice, good one. Hey, Chad, thanks for the question. And for everyone listening, if you've got a question, listen to question, shoot it off to us, guitarspeakpodcast at gmail.com or Instagram or Facebook, find us on there. Or just, you know, just yell out down the street stuff. And I'll, I'll write it down and then Oi, tell the guys. Matt! <laughs> yeah. Ask me at a gig. Yeah. Preferably yeah, come, during come the song. Come up to Rob mid-song. Mid-song is the best time for a conversation. And just talk right into his ear. It's always good. <laughs> Nothing like that spit in the face. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Hey, let's keep going with the oddballs. Um, I think we're up to Rob. What's your uh, what's your next oddball? Yeah, so for me again, I, I just I wanted the original oddballs, you know, like Curly and Mo and um, <laughs> Abbott and Costello, you know, the classic oddballs. So I went with the Explorer because 
again, still, it looks weird. Um, it's been bought into the norm by, you know, the Edge, who has a ton of 76 ones. But in yeah. 58, it wasn't popular. Again, it's another one of those ones that from Gibson's official site and from their paperwork, they only shipped 19 of them. Yeah. 19. You know? God, imagine how much those are worth now. <laughs> I guess wow. who's got them? Rick Nielsen. But Rick Nielsen's got three of them, I think, from Cheap Trick. Oh, wow, okay. Wow. Um, he recently did the Gibson TV special and they he took Mark Agnesi into his uh, little guitar storage room and it's... Oh, that's cool. Man, it's the thing that dreams are made of. You know, like people want to go to Disneyland and, you know, all these people, that they claim that this is where dreams are made. It's not. It's in Rick Nielsen's back room storage room. Like that's that's where dreams are made. Uh, oh, amen. And, bro- and broken probably. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most likely. <laughs> hey, he, he tours a lot of those guitars though, doesn't he? He, he? he doesn't have qualms. I guess he's got – maybe he's got his super special – Vintage guitars, but he tours a lot of that really old stuff. Yeah, he does. But some of that is worth so much now he doesn't take it. And from that Gibson video, it was clear that they're not upkept well, right? Because okay. none of them are in tune. Some of them, like the strings, were fretting out. Like he's just they're just sure. there in a case, Im- stacked on one on top of the other. You know. But Im- but imagine tuning his five neck guitar. I mean, that would take a while until you get through that, and then <laughs> it's hard enough with my double neck mate with a twelve and six at a gig trying to keep that thing in tune. Um, but yeah, so again, very similar to the Explorer. It was made of Carina, the early ones. And then later on, uh, like the 76, when it was reissued, it was mahogany. Um, again, as part of those reissues from 58 that retailed for 16000 here. Like, and they only made the same amount. So that's why they're hard, so hard to get. What uh, was the one that Clapton used where, the, where he cut off the bit? What year, How old was that one? Because, you know, cool. he had that one that with yeah. the, the pointy top bout kind of being cut off. Yeah, no. Do you I know? Did, or? did not research that. That's a question okay. without notice. Um, Sorry. Wow. Some, if only we had something we could look that up. But uh, <laughs> but some of my favourite Explorer moments, obviously the Edge is, um, you know, he's the guy, he's the poster child for it and you've seen incarnations with um, with James Hetfield over the years, mm, like very yeah, sure. very big with the metal guys, the 80s ones and the late 70s ones. But for me, again, it's Tom Dumont and Rick yeah, Nielsen yeah. that in yeah. the 90s that were really, whoa, that was about $5 worth of petrol there. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> the main streets of uh, suburban Sydney. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, a, it's a 58. I just looked it up. 58 yes. Carino Explorer. The one so he hacked a 58, one of the 19. He hacked it. Awesome. So there's 18 of them. <laughs> uh, it's probably less than that because the Nashville floods probably claim, claimed a couple, you know, from uh, Katrina. Um, I think Clapton wanted it to look like a modern. That's that's what uh, oh, yeah. a lot of people are saying. <laughs> Good call. No, no, it was the previous the owner before him. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, it was the owner before him that um, did it. Uh-huh. And uh, he didn't realize that that's not the way they were meant to be when he originally got the guitar and he was trying to return it um, to the store he bought it from. 
captain because wow. he wasn't he wasn't aware that that's not the way they are meant to look. <laughs> there you go. So we find out something new. There you go. Um, so I fell in love. Like Diesel plays one in the Get a Kick video clip, and I fell back in love with him after uh, after seeing cool. him play that. And um, obviously Eddie played a De- Ibanez Destroyer version, which we talked about that he hacked the back out of. And um, I think one of my favourite current models of the Explorer is the Lizzie Hale signature model, which is ivory. It's very mm. flash. It's got, you know, all the beautiful shiny hardware. That's um, a beautiful looking guitar and um, nice to see a young, you know, female artist flying the flag for some of these classic guitars, you know. So yeah, um, that's cool. Oh, yeah, that's a very nice. I just looked it up as well. Yeah, there's a white one and a black one. Yeah, and the guy from Eagles of Death Metal, I think he has a signature model too, um, which looks pretty flash. Mm. Um, so they're still around, but again, they they look, they still look radical. They still look futuristic when you you know compare them to a Strat or a Tele or a Les Paul or a three three five or you know any of those traditional style ones. They still really turn heads. So, Matt, what are, what are your thoughts and memories on Explorers? Yeah, again, a really, really cool shape. Um, probably, probably the Edge playing one um, was my one of my first viewings. It, the Edge, it struck me as funny. It didn't look like the guitar that was making the sound I was hearing. In yeah, that- so... Again, that's like the V where it's kind of got a single coily sound because of where the mid focus of that particular Mm. body is because it's not a carved top, you know, like a Les Paul and it's not a hollow body like the other ones. They definitely have a very distinct sound. It's a little bit different to the V but similar in some ways too. Two questions though. Were were the Explorers one of the – or were they the first – Hockey stick headstock or the banana type headstock? I think it's well fifty eight. Yeah, I think it must yeah. have been. There wasn't. Yeah, there weren't many other guitars, and Gibson was all about that big, you know, mm. headstock with their hollow bodies, and then to the yeah. Les Pauls and stuff. So, yeah, I would say that probably is the first hockey stick, and it makes I sense. That looks awesome, man. That yeah. looks great. It just offsets the body really well, but yeah. they're very prone to breaking. Okay, okay. The way that... Right. Mm. Hey, second question then. Have you guys seen the Futura? So not the deluxe Gibson Corvus, <laughs> but the Futura being the, the prototype explorer? Yeah, like it's squeezed in the middle. It's yeah, a little it's bit different. Much more angular and... Smaller body and just... Mm. Yeah, it's more it's more like a what would you say? Yeah, kind of that 1940s like yeah. woman squeezed into a corset kind of around <laughs> the middle section. <laughs> yeah. With the big flowing dress, yeah. And it's got that Mr. Spock headstock. It the does. Spock headstock, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I thought, man, it's rocking it on this Moderna that may or may not exist, so and then there's also the reverse Explorer, which is totally weird. Um, it's just backwards. And that was another quirky oddball just going off. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, there's a reverse Explorer and it has that weird headstock, but the tuners are very different. Oh, mate. Oh, it's wow. Yeah, that's so weird. Bizarre. It's got banjo Holy tuners moly. or something. That's like so- a. And the, and the pick guard's a lightning bolt. Well, that's rock and roll. That's cool. Wow. Nah. That's, I, that's, a, that's bizarre. <laughs> Gabor's Something found is- his new favourite offset guitar. <laughs> no, I've always had a bit of a thing for the non reverse Firebirds. Yeah. I mean, I love Firebirds generally. I mean, I, that could have almost been another one for this, you know, the sort of oddities to Firebird, especially with the banjo style machine heads. Yeah. Um, true. Stay true. tuned for but- part two. Part two, yeah, more more oddities, but holy mo- that 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 headstock on that thing is just bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> that's even weirder than the Moderna, <laughs> or or at least on par. <laughs> or the Modern, sorry, the Crazy. Modern. What's a Moderna? Is that is that something? Have I just made that up? I I, I realized I said that a couple of minutes ago too. I think it's something. In Italy? It's probably something you saw at IKEA. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, that's a vaccine, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's the vaccine. I need the vaccine. <laughs> uh, other brands are available. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. We're going to move on because speaking of non-reverse Firebirds, um, I'm going to talk about the Firebird X, which was mm-hmm. launched in October 2010. The launch was quite famous because the, the CEO of Gibson at the time, Henry Juskowitz, came out on stage smashed a Gibson SG and then proceeded to tell everyone that the Firebird X was the future and that the revolution and the future is here, which is uh, kind of bizarre. And in, mm-hmm. Obviously, in recent years, Henry Juskowitz has, has had, I guess, bad press um, since Gibson filed for bankruptcy in 2018 and he stood down as CEO and a whole bunch of stuff. But I guess an interesting thing about Juskowitz as well. He was part of the buyout in in '86 when he and a, a consortium bought out Gibson from Norlin. And perhaps in the way that many of us are looking at Mark Agnesi now as the cool dude in the leather jacket who understands guitars. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to put some air quotation yeah. marks down the cool dude. But anyway, okay, okay. <laughs> Juskowitz was kind of that guy. For Gibson in in the mid eighties, who really brought it back from the brink. So obviously, lots of water passed under the bridge. But anyway, so he comes out and launches the the Firebird X. And what can we say about this? That it was it was a non reverse Firebird, which I'm going to push back on Gabor's claim. To me, the non reverse Firebird looks kind of goofy already, and this just ramped it up a million percent. Which raises a question: Why is the Firebird that everyone knows, well, which most people know as the Firebird, why is that the reverse one? Was the non-reverse first? I don't know. I don't know. Why did the chicken cross the road? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we will never know. With this, and with uh, what I find with this particular guitar, yeah, if you kind of, um, I mean, to me, the headstock is ugly. That needs to change. But if you if you were to just take the, the bottom half of it, the bottom half looks quite good on its own. Uh-huh. The top half is too pointy. If the top half would be a little bit more subtle, I think it could be quite a good-looking guitar. And maybe not in red and blue, like bright red, bright blue. With- well, when you say red and blue, you mean red illusion and blue dilution. That's what was, I meant, of course. They're the official <laughs> names for these yeah, better make sure ugly, ugly swirl finishes. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. 
and and the, and the maple fretboard with the big X on the fifth fret. But um, yeah. And have you have you guys seen the video where the tank goes over all of like I don't know how many of them and breaks them all? Well, that's another can of worms. Yeah. So um, let's just go there. So yeah, in 2019. Gibson destroyed somewhere between three and 400 of them. And there's a lot of stories as to why they did it. Some people just say, you know, they're trying to wash their hands of this guitar under the new management. Some people say there was a dispute between the German company who made the helped make the electronics. Okay. Um, and then they didn't want to be involved in service disputes. Um, I think Gibson themselves said there were unsafe components. Could blow any second. <laughs> yeah, it was like, was it a? It was a partnership with Samsung, and um, they just spontaneously caught fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the robot tuners they were tuned so fast that the yeah. strings were just but it was just flames. The robots uh, <laughs> took a mind of their own, like in in Solo, the the uh, the Star Wars standalone. Yeah, so. They were really pushing the technology. So the robot tuners, the three mini humbuckers, which were actually almost like a almost like a, a Line Six Variax in that they were trying to mimic a lot of different types of pickups. It had built-in effects, built-in guitar voicings, had a piezo bridge, um, had twenty-three frets. Now. <laughs> Whenever I see they a guitar, they couldn't decide between twenty-two and they said no, twenty-one, no, twenty-two, no, twenty-four. Let's meet in the middle. Let's make it twenty-three, and let's go play golf. All right, so yeah, twenty-three. Yeah. It does my head in. Um, uh, now I should say friends, friends, of the, great friends of the show, fretboard biology. Joe Elliott plays a custom Kellerman guitar with twenty-three guitar, twenty-three frets. Oh wow! Well, okay, him, I said to him way back when he was on the show, why twenty-three and. Um, it was the most he could fit in with, with keeping his pickups in the place that he liked. So, fair enough, Joe. All is good. But Gibson, come on. Why? Why 23? <laughs> well, there's a lot of whys there. But <laughs> Bizarre, but that's, that's, that's not the big why with this guitar. Um, it, to me, it looked like something like it was a video game controller. It had the mismatched controls, the color-coded um, switches. It had the sliders a, on the upper bout on the top, yeah. And that X yeah. on the fifth thread, that's just ah, oh, that just cheapens it to me. Yeah, kind of even more. To me, it says um, "Do not play." <laughs> and it seemed like because because I mean the thing is when you look at a Firebird, a normal Firebird, the the it's kind of the whole point is it's so, somewhat symmetrical. Like with a yeah. Firebird, if you cut it in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And you take the one, the top bout and the bottom bout, and you flip yeah. one of them over. It's kind of almost the same. Yeah, right? gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you've got the two longer bouts opposite each other, and the two shorter bouts opposite each other. Yeah. With this, they kind of elongated the wrong parts, to me, and that makes it just again, it's sort of that Gumby thing. It just kind of looks that should have had that headstock on it, <laughs> that modern headstock. But I reckon they went with the original shape, but they couldn't fit the electronics in, so they just kept adding bits until adding they bits could fit it. all the electronics in. It's like, it's like the Homer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the car, you know, the Homer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Homer, a, yes. Oh. With the, bu- the bubble roof. Bubble. Yeah. The bubble and really car big of drink the future holders. today. <laughs> oh, man, this is just all manner of... It, it, like. <laughs> What, who was in? Like, you just want to be a fly on the wall in the yeah. design discussions yeah. because, well, <laughs> as you said, 
<laughs> As you said, Matt, we'll it's, find out. It harkens to the um, to the Variax and maybe to a lesser extent the Fender Roland uh, oh, yeah. thing yep. that yep. they the partnership that they did. And yeah. Gibson went, oh, you can do this here, hold my beer, and um, and then just proceeded to totally cock it all up, you know, and I think in the end it got what it deserved being run over by a tank. Um, yeah. But they're going crazy. The prices, the used prices now are going crazy. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what you because just – Because there's, no, there's not many left because they all have tank damage. Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> minor, non-tank damage. Minor track uh, NTT, issues. NTD. That's always if you look at a reverb listing and it's got NTD, you know, tank What does that mean? <laughs> totally, totally. So, what, what year was that released? What year did that come out? 2010. Okay. Um, and I, I can't remember if I said this. They, they, I think they released 1,800 of them. Um, they're five and a half grand US. Oh, a lot of, a lot of money. I've got a quote here from um, Peter Hodgson. Peter Hodgson's really respected Australian music and guitar journalist. And he wrote this. I can't tell if he gave it a yes or a no on my Insta vote. Um, but he wrote, I think he gave it a no. He wrote, I played one and it was fun, just many thousands of dollars too expensive. The built-in effects <laughs> would be great on a $500 Epiphone. Which, mm. yeah, maybe maybe that could have been a better kind yeah. of vibe. Uh, then he continues on. I said, can I quote you? And he goes, yeah, sure you can. Then he wrote, um, the necks were nice, but the overall control system was too complicated. If it was simplified, it could have been something cool. And maybe the plan was to let the technology filter into other products eventually, the way the robot guitar led to the robot tuners, etc. So Pete's played a million guitars and reviewed a million guitars. So interesting to hear his, his thoughts there. I, um, I can't wait to talk to Chad Wynn. Chad. Yeah, yeah. Man. Absolutely. To get to get some of the backstory, but um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else we can say about this guitar? Well, remember the Kawhi organ guitar? Remember that yeah. wiki, like totally whack thing yep, from yep, the yep. was it the sixties? Sixties, I think. Yep, the guitar yeah. go- guitar organ. Yeah, it, it was, was kind of a cool name. Like yeah. similar uh, in yeah. in its in its reach, what it wanted yeah. to do, you know. And uh, failed doing. Yeah. <laughs> 400 buttons and... Yeah, yeah. Insane, but yeah. Uh, mad scientists are good for certain things, but I think yeah. that they missed on this one. Yeah. I mean, props for Gibson trying to push the technology. Um, I think, was there some Bluetooth going on there as well? I don't know. You could probably... You could browse the internet on it, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> so, who knows, but... Yeah, I, I mean, it obviously didn't take off. Some people say it was the beginning of the end for uh, for Juskowitz era Gibson. I, I I don't know. It's it's um it's strange, it's strange. But it is it is an oddball, and that's why we're talking about it. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think we've got we've got one more. Gabor, come at us. Well, the last one is kind of I guess in the predecessor to this one to a certain degree because it came yeah. out in late two thousand nine, early two thousand ten. Yeah. Uh, and was the uh, successor to the Darkfire guitar, which was the successor to the Robot guitar. Gotcha, yes. Um, so this was the Dusk Tiger. Now, yeah. the Dusk Tiger, I remember the Dusk Tiger. And I, I, I mean, it's not necessarily that much of an oddball in the way it looks and stuff, even though it look, it's a quirky look too, actually. But 
Um, I think the oddball is that it was so hyped, kind of like the the Firebird X. I remember okay, all the guitar yeah. magazines had these really sort of arty photos of it and stuff and said, yeah, you know, the future. Yeah. And then I think um, it was about that same sort of price, around five dollars $6,000 wow. price tag. They made a 1000 of them. Uh, and it was a massive flop. Right. Um, it was sort of going towards the Les Paul recording kind of side of things. Yeah, it so kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. yeah. It it had special pickups and everything. So it had magnetic and piezo pickups, yeah. a four-band parametric EQ system, switchable low-Z uh, and high-definition impedance circuits, feeding a Nutrix jack with both quarter-inch and XLR outputs. So you had an XLR and a quarter-inch output. The third generation robot tuning technology that provides 18 alternate tunings that players can program. Um, and the body was made, of, made out of South American marble wood and ebony. But it's sort of a weird, it's, so, I don't know, again, explain it to people that can't really see it. I mean, look it up. But it has a, um, it's sort of a flat top. So it's not, a, yeah. um, it's not an arch top or calf top. Um, and it has this kind of strange, I don't know how you would explain it, but it's its a, like a mirrory sort of chromey kind of pickguard that almost looks like a wave, an upside down wave that goes from the bridge pickup sort of under the um, uh, tailpiece to the knobs and it sort of comes up the other side. It's kind of odd. If um, you look at it from a certain angle, it looks like some sort of crazy dolphin or whale that would have been in Rocco's modern life. Yeah, I can see that. You turn your head on the side. <laughs> it looks like the mouth is yeah. open with the dolphin eye. Oh, yeah. It has a little yeah, yeah. bit actually of the, of the uh, little bit of a kind of a can opener, bottle opener thing going yeah. on. Corvus. It's maybe it's a Corvus. It's maybe there was a nod to the Corvus oh, in that as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, just an, uh, to me, it was just a really odd guitar. Mm, and mm. It, it, I just remember it being so plugged, um, like really pushed. Yeah. And then it very quickly went away because A, no one could afford it. And B, it was one of those things that no one wanted. And it was funny, I read a bunch of articles and a lot of the people reviewing it said, you know, instead of giving us a $6,000 thing like this, why don't you just give us a normal Les Paul where the necks won't warp? <laughs> you know, just oh, yeah. a, that was kind of the reviews at the time. Because, I mean, right. at the time, Gibson had a lot of issues with quality control. Um, I remember I worked in a music shop um, around that time and we had people order quite high-end Gibson guitars. And, again, not putting Gibson down at all because there was some fantastic stuff amongst the two. But some of it was just, re- you know, expensive guitars and you go really how does that come out of the factory how did they let that come out of the factory because mm. there was some really really big issues and you almost kind of feel like i can't give this to the customer who paid i don't know six thousand dollars for this australian dollars um you know anyway but yeah so it was, it's just one of those bizarre guitars it kind of reminds me like remember the smartwood series that came out um I think it was probably the mid-90s, wasn't it? Like yeah. the mid-90s, the Smartwood, and they were really good. And when I worked at a uh, particular retailer in Sydney, um, they had a Smartwood one there that just sat downstairs. They couldn't put it on the shelf for some reason. And it honestly was one of the best Gibsons I'd ever played. I'm mm. so like disappointed I never bought it when I had the opportunity because the prices of those are going through the roof now. Um 
Speaking of prices, Reverb in July 19, 2019, they were around $2,000 was the price guide. Now the price guide is around five. 5200 5300 getting up towards 5500 yeah. used so yeah. for yeah. a smart wood are you saying no no the dust tiger dust oh, tiger okay okay yeah wow. all right but well, there's um, so few made so i guess it's one of those things where people just go this will this is guaranteed to be an investment eventually you know eventually when enough people like us talk about that stuff yeah <laughs> some think, people will buy i think we're really doing some things for the market with this episode. oh absolutely Definitely. They should. I think all of us should get at least one or two Gibson guitars for free out of this. <laughs> well, I want to. I want to defend Gibson. I like. So, I, for a long time, I was a Fender player and um, many other brands, but mostly Fenders. And in since doing this seventies thing, I've found that the Gibsons are way more suited um, to to this gig. And there's some. There's some. Obviously, there's some real horrible quality control at times. Um, but there's some really good eras of Gibsons, like the early 2000s to maybe 2008, um, from the late 90s to 2008. There's some really good guitars made. I've been lucky to have, have a couple of those from 2006, and they're really well made. But when I did work at Allen's, the one thing, and this is going to be controversial, one thing I really hate about Gibson are fret nibs. I absolutely hate them. The one thing I love about the Japanese, like Epiphones, any of those Grecos, any of the top end Orvilles, all of that sort of stuff, is that their fret work is so much better than Gibson's and you don't have to put mm. up with the fret nibs. Mm-hmm. And I just think the fret nibs look like someone didn't want to work too hard and they just paint over the end of the guitar. Well, it's just one of those pet hates mm. of mine and i know that people talk about it and it's like you want to get them with the fret nibs but um, personally i don't i don't get it i don't like it and um yeah going on record that's it controversial dun, dun, maybe. Dun. <laughs> well you're not you're not getting your signature series uh gibson anymore but no Matt i love gibson. Still, but <laughs> I love them. i've got a double cut special two p90s and i've got a 335 and you know they're two really great guitars but yeah, there are issues, especially on the used market. If you can't play it, they're really hard to buy. It's not like the yeah. MIJs. You can kind of, you know, what you're gonna, the, yeah. you know what you're going to get. You can buy them sight unseen most of the time with some decent photos. But with Gibsons, you just, I know my 335 took years to settle and I bought it secondhand. Like I've had it 10 years. It was already four years old then um, or more. And it took a long time for it to settle. And it's only settled in the last couple of years where I don't have to do truss rod adjustments every season and it holds yeah. its tune from putting it in the case and pulling it out after two weeks, it's, it holds its tune. But for a long time, it didn't. So, um, yeah, I totally understand that Gibson ownership thing. But what you get from them is something special when when they are f- firing, you know. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, without absolutely. without a doubt, but Gibson and Fender have shaped electric guitar, rock music, pop culture as it pertains to music in so many ways. So, hundred oh, percent. But but yeah, but with these companies that have been around a long time, yeah, there's going to be lots of seasons that are up and down, and um, 
it just it just makes all the stories all the more fascinating. Even you guys talking about the the Karina being chosen. I love these stories. The Karina was chosen what because it was better to paint or whatever, but it's actually wow, it's lighter, so it makes for a different feel for the instrument and perhaps tone leading parts something different. Man, I love those stories. Like the the early tellies were made of pine and um, yeah. it dented really easily, but some people thought they sounded better. And then you know, the pine went out of fashion. But in the last ten years, it's um, coming hearing, back again. Yeah, yeah, people are talking about pine again as a cool kind of kind of wood. So all these weird decisions that that weigh into the final instrument. And yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, I've got a Brad Paisley signature um, Esquire. Yeah. And it is so light. That's made of pine, and it's super oh, it light. Is. Okay, okay, yeah. cool. And um, yeah. yeah, but the with the nitro finish, just leaving the strap on it in the guitar case has oh, left, <laughs> you know, an impression yeah, on yeah. the on the thing that it doesn't want to come off. So yeah. the yeah, the crazy, but yeah, super light, super just resonant. Like I was always, we we're always sort of told the heavier the guitar, you know that. The denser, the, everyone yeah. wants the heavy ones. They sound better. But yeah. as I've as I've matured and gotten older, and the more you learn, the more you listen to the right people. It seems to be that those lighter guitars are the ones that have endured and sound better. The Pine yeah. Esquires, yeah. the you know the lightweight SGs that um, uh, Derek Trucks, like he just he loves. He goes after the really light ones. He said they just mm-hmm. sound better. Yeah, and Karina is super light, and they're yeah. all the ones that everyone's after. So. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, good times. I reckon, I don't know, I reckon there's a whole there's a whole army of other Gibson oddballs we could have spoken about, but I think we've covered some good ones. Yeah. And, uh, again, maybe if there's listeners out there who want to give us a shout-out for anything we've missed or uh, uh, add any comments, we'd, we'd love to hear that. But um, before we go, Rob, the hardest working man in showbiz. Where can people, <laughs> where can people find out what you're doing? Oh, where you're playing these flying V's? Yeah, the the easiest place is just my website, which is roadtrip.com. So R H O D E T R I P E N T dot com, and all of my solo gigs are there. All of my seventy shows are there. Whatever else, um, that's that's the hub for me. Cool, awesome, and Gabor. Gabor, I've, well, I've got a name yeah. for you too. Um, Rob's Rob's the hardest working man in showbiz. I think you're the hardest working slashy in showbiz <laughs> because you're a, you're a performer slash content creator slash podcaster slash uh, teacher slash cool dude. I, I, oh, oh, well, th- oh, well, thank you. Th- again, I'm going to do the cool dude in, under air quotation yeah, sure. marks. But <laughs> I, I cool dude, what am I, 14 years old? <laughs> I think he's the Hugh Jackman of YouTube. <laughs> me I, I am all right we'll, we'll do that we'll use that i'll take that that's I'll great rob i love it uh, so if you if you want to if you want to see uh more of me go to hughjackman.com uh, <laughs> no uh, <laughs> no uh, uh i have a, a youtube channel uh called the super fun awesome happy time pedal show all one word except for the 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 is separate but then everything else is one word um and I review guitars and amps and pedals, mostly pedals. Uh, myself and my friend Alex, uh, we do that. And we also do a podcast, um, which are, you should listen to the Guitar Speak podcast first, but then after that, you should listen to our podcast as well. E- under either the same either. name. 
And so uh, yeah, and that's 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 where you can find me. Or if you're in living in the sort of Noosa area, at some restaurant or venue at some stage, playing gigs in one way or another. Nice, nice. Who wouldn't want to live in Noosa? Well, true, true. Hey, um, thanks, guys. Great, great fun talking about this stuff. Thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning into the Guitar Speak podcast. We'll be back with some more nonsense soon. Uh, or you can check out the 200 odd interviews uh, on, on our site as well. Thanks, guys, again. And uh, we always like to leave our, our listeners with the words of wisdom from the aforementioned Michael Schenker, who once told me Keep rocking, keep on rocking. See you next time. <laughs>